Funding for The Spark is provided by Capital Blue Cross, focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like Capital Blue Cross Connect Health and Wellness Centers, which provide in-person services and inspire healthy living. Learn more at CapitalBlueCross.com. The Spark is also supported by UPMC, providing primary and advanced specialty care throughout all of central Pennsylvania and beyond. A list of providers in the area can be found at upmc.com slash findadoc. The number of shootings, gun murders, and suicides using firearms is rising across the country. Mass shootings are commonplace in the U.S., and although they get most of the attention, they don't happen nearly as often as a shooting on the street or in a home. Philadelphia and other large cities are setting records for gun deaths, but here in central Pennsylvania, not a week goes by that we don't hear of a shooting nearby. No one has been able to identify any one reason why gun violence is increasing, other than the availability of guns. For years, there have been impassioned pleas for stricter gun laws. It's turned out to be one of the most divisive political issues of our time. A new group, the Saving Lives Ending Gun Violence Committee, is led by the religious community, in particular Pennsylvania's Episcopal Diocese, calling for tougher gun laws. With us on the spark today are the Right Reverend Audrey Scanlon, Bishop of the Diocese of Central Pennsylvania, and the Reverend Jennifer Matson, Rector of St. Thomas Episcopal Church in Lancaster and Saving Lives Ending Gun Violence Committee Chair. I want to thank both of you for being on the program today. So, Bishop Scanlon, let me start with you. How did the Saving Lives Ending Gun Violence Committee come together? That's a great question, Scott. Thank you. I think that once a year I gather all of our clergy in central Pennsylvania together for a clergy conference. And we spend three or four days um, studying and in prayer and, and worship together. And it happened to be during that conference that the Uvalde shooting took place. And there was something so striking about being together as one body. Um, we've always had interest in reducing gun violence, but there was suddenly, because we were all together, this increased sense of urgency that we would want to do something. And so the tragedy at Uvalde uh, sadly sparked us into action again and really to get organized around legislation and and also looking at the, the spiritual and moral implications of what I would say is a real spiritual crisis for us in this country and certainly in this commonwealth. Your committee is approaching this differently than other groups or individuals that have called for stricter gun laws. In what way? Well, I would say the first thing that's different than a lot of groups that are working to end gun violence is that we're grounded in prayer. We have several sub subcommittees in our community, and one of the most important ones is the one that continually keeps this issue alive in prayer across the diocese, among our committee members, in our different congregations, inviting people in our 63 churches in central Pennsylvania to let them know if their lives have been affected by gun violence so that we can keep them in prayer. So I would say that's the fundamental difference in addition to the legislative work we're doing, and also the work we're doing in trying to support and surround um, the most vulnerable, our own children, in this in this cause. Mm -hmm. 
you mentioned Yavaldi, and this is no criticism of, of you, but why does it take a mass shooting like Yavaldi, like Sandy Hook, like uh, uh, Parkland in Florida, to get the public's attention? And the reason I ask that question is it seems as though the public is almost... I don't know. I said in the introduction that not a week goes by that we don't hear about a shooting or a killing here in central Pennsylvania. It's almost like, oh, okay, that's part of the news. You know, we're, we're, it doesn't shock us anymore. Why does it take a mass shooting to shock us into action? And again, that's no criticism of your group. That's across the country. Yes, we would have hoped that Sandy Hook would have been enough yeah. is enough, right? right. Um, and Uvalde also... I I don't know. I will say from my own spiritual practice and Jennifer as well that it it's not the mass shootings. It's the every day, every morning I wake up and go on the gun violence archive website and make the recent shootings in the last 72 hours part of my daily prayer. And you may not know this because maybe you don't go on that website, but in the last 72 hours, we've had 13 shootings in Pennsylvania, 13. And so those are um, not forgotten by me. My, my friend Jennifer here, my sister Jennifer, wears her gun violence orange stole Sunday by Sunday. As a, as a visible icon. Yeah, Pastor Matson, you have a bright orange T-shirt right now. Uh, I can't see your, your blazer. Is, is <laughs> protect says, children, not guns. Right. So uh, talk about that last 72 hours and how, trying to get people to remember this or think about it. Absolutely. And I can also speak that for me, there was a change after the Uvalde shooting. Um, and it's not that the others didn't matter. It's not that there was a, a lag of, of, of wanting to, to act and to do something. But I'm also a mother of four children. And I've shared this story with Bishop Audrey and with others that after the shooting in Uvalde, my children were trying to process their feelings about what had happened. And it's become a norm for children that they have to participate in active shooter drills. And so at that time, I had two children who were in the same elementary school, and the youngest was in kindergarten, and our middle son was in fifth grade at the time. And at the dinner table that night, our son said, what do I do if there's a school shooting, and I've made it out safe, but my sister is still in the building? Am I supposed to listen to my teacher and stay with her, or do I try to get back into the school and get her out? And the fact that my 11-year-old son was worried about the responsibility of whether or not he had to keep his little sister safe just kind of broke something. Well, I was just about to say, my heart's breaking just listen to that story that uh, your 11-year-old son has to think about that today. That That's just heartbreaking if that can't get someone's attention. Your committee is uh, trying to frame this or is framing this as a religious and moral issue. In what way? Well, I think coming from the perspective of faith, um, that it, it really is about also what we are embracing, which is uh, the commandment to love, to love God with all of your heart, with all your mind, your soul, to love your neighbor as yourself. And in order to do that, I think we have to, love is always about the other. And it's about sometimes that you have to let go of certain things. And it's not about taking away guns from responsible gun owners. It's about how can you establish safe communities where everybody can flourish and live together. And so there's a moral imperative to 
have this priority around love, about living out love in a way that allows children to flourish and to grow up feeling safe. Um, and that that might mean limitations on things like access to assault rifles, for example. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about uh, what you're calling for in, in just a moment. But one thing I wanted to ask about, uh, you know, there have been healthcare professionals who have wanted to frame this as a health care issue, a health and wellness issue, mm-hmm. and still are trying to do that. But it doesn't seem to ha- have much traction. It always turns back to a political issue. So how do you get your point across as something other than a political issue? I think that this is not just a health care issue, although certainly mental health is at the center of what drives somebody to pick up a gun and use it either at somebody else or, as we know, the majority of gun deaths is is suicide, so against themselves. Over half right. of gun deaths are suicide. So that's, that's definitely a, a mental health situation. But I would say for us, from a faith perspective, it's a spiritual health situation. We are always working as church professionals, as religious professionals, to get people to understand that that their faith is something that they live out day by day, moment by moment. It's not just that hour they spend in church, two or three or maybe four Sundays a month, if, if we get lucky these days, uh, but that we are, by virtue of our baptism, by virtue of becoming part of the church, we're compelled to work for peace, to work for justice, to respect the dignity of every human being. Those are words that we say when we take our baptismal vows. They're words that we say when we renew our baptismal vows three or four times a year. So this is the core of who we are in our tradition as Christians, but I would also say that this is an effort that we're hoping to make an interfaith effort. Right. So it's right now we are the Episcopalians, 65,000 of us in Pennsylvania who are talking about this. But it is my hope to make this um, an ecumenical and an interfaith effort because we all want peace. Um, the, call, the core Christian call is to reconciliation. And so what I always think about this, this beautiful creation that God has made that is, that is whole, that is complete, and by our nature of our very human frailty, that's been broken. And so the work that we're called to do as Christians is to reconcile, to put that back together. And so this is one significant way that we're doing that work. When you talk about an interfaith effort, uh, just at your press conference last week, I know that uh, there was a Jewish rabbi that spoke. Uh, Have you gotten other uh, religious domination, religious dominations, denominations of uh, uh, from Christian faith, from other faiths that are involved? In the past, we have worked with a a faith-based group called Heeding God's Call to End Gun Violence, and they're across Pennsylvania and in other places as well. They have a core of interfaith folks who have come to walk with us, to rally with us, to pray with us. So yes, in this most recent effort, um, Rabbi Choper from Mechanicsburg was with us, and Jennifer, you've worked with um, some folks from the Jewish tradition as well. Right, Rabbi Jack Pascoff from Lancaster. Mm-hmm. 
Our guest today, the Right Reverend Audrey Scanlon, Bishop of the Diocese of Central Pennsylvania, and the Reverend Jennifer Matson, Rector of State State St. Thomas Episcopal Church in Lancaster and Saving Lives Ending Gun Violence Committee Chair. Uh, they are on a campaign to end gun violence, and we'll be talking with legislators soon. But they are calling for stricter gun laws. And uh, Reverend Matson, let me ask you about that. There's four areas in particular in which you're looking. What are they? So limiting purchases to one handgun a month to make it harder for illegal handgun trafficking to occur, an extreme risk protection order, which would be a temporary judicial removal of firearms. Red, red flag laws. Exactly. Often, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Prohibition on the sales of assault weapons and large capacity ammunition style magazines, uh, which, by the way, are the weapons most typically used for mass shootings. And then um, a prohibition on the sale and the possession of ghost guns. So these are the parts of guns that are kits that can be available that people can then put together their own um, gun that wouldn't have identifying markers or information, which can make it more difficult, actually, for law enforcement to solve crimes. All four of those things have been proposed in the Pennsylvania legislature, but have never gotten anywhere. Right. Why would they, why would legislators change their minds and pass it now? That's a great question, and that's what we're hoping that we can get momentum, because obviously um, this is an epidemic, and the time to to change, the time to act has always been now. But what we're really looking is to have um, partnerships to cross the divide to say, what can we agree on? What can we do together? Because we, we can agree that, that life is sacred and that we want to do what we can to to protect life, but how can we best do that? And what can we do to find partnerships and, and, and bridge in ways that are sensible, common sense approaches? Is that what's been missing in this conversation? And maybe not just in the legislature, but it seems as though with such a divisive issue, there are others out there, that we talk at one another rather than saying, okay, where can we agree? That's how, uh, you know, you, you can come up with some kind of agreement is where you can agree. You think that's been missing in this conversation? I do, and I think faith communities can be a wonderful role model for this. In my congregation, for example, we have a wonderful, diverse political representation. We really are a blend of, of folks who have various and differing political views, but we come together in worship, in common faith every Sunday, and we are able to engage in difficult conversations because we have faith um, at the core of who we are. And I think this can be a, a model that can be replicated and built upon to help bring people together, to get them in the room, to, to get creative, to say, what can we do? Because something needs to be done. Uh, Bishop uh, Scanlon, let me, I don't know if I'd say push back, but some of the things mm -hmm. that you're going to hear mm -hmm. that you probably have already heard. Argument has been that this is a constitutional uh, sure. conversation. It's an issue. The Second Amendment of the Constitution says Americans have the right to bear arms. The U.S. Supreme Court has upheld that right. What do you say when someone makes that argument that what you're looking to do, these laws, would limit someone's constitution or take away someone's constitutional right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. I don't, I don't think that we are looking to take guns away from people who use them in responsible ways, in ways that are recreational, or even in the cases of people who feel that they need a gun in their home to protect themselves. We're not, we're not um, trying to take guns away from those people for those reasons. What we are 
asking to see is sensible legislation that will get illegal guns off the streets, that will reduce what's called the iron pipeline of the number of illegal guns that make their way in and through Pennsylvania. And there are statistics or numbers that that really tell an, a compelling story out of New Jersey. So we think of New Jersey as, as a place that has probably, one would imagine, the same amount of gun violence as, as our own Commonwealth. And yet, they've been working very hard at gun legislation in New Jersey. And they have put into effect three of the four measures that we're talking about. The one handgun a month law has been passed there. The prohibition on assault weapons has been passed there, and the prohibition on ghost guns or kind of make make your own gun. And let me share a couple of numbers with you. In, in 2020, there were 1,752 gun deaths in our Commonwealth. In, in New Jersey, there were 443. So you got mm. 1,700 and 443 mm. across the United States. Pennsylvania is 29th per capita ranking among all 50 states. And uh, New Jersey, 48. Hmm. Because they have done an amazing job of, again, not taking guns away from people who own them for for personal reasons or reasons of recreation, but simply guns that are illegal and guns that are in hands of people who shouldn't have them. Unfortunately, many people, even when confronted with those numbers, mm -hmm. will see it as because they, they have been led to believe that uh, any kind of stricter gun law is an attempt to take away all guns. And even some people who are very reasonable, mm -hmm. smart people will look at that and say, hey, you know, this is an attempt to take away all guns and I don't want you taking away my guns. How do you respond to that? Not true. It's just clearly not true. We're not trying to take guns away from everybody. We're simply trying to enact guns to keep them out of the hands of people who shouldn't have them and to reduce the insane volume of guns that are out on our streets. Mm. There are so many that even today, if you stop making guns, there's still over 315 million guns on the streets of uh, the United States. So it's not like uh, guns are going to go away, even if you ban them. And that is not a realistic thing to even to even think about. You know, this state, one of the nuances, if you will, that I've observed over the years is that in a lot of ways, this is an urban versus rural issue. Many people in rural Pennsylvania grew up with guns in the house. They went hunting. Uh, they went target, shoot, target shootings. They kept guns in their, their homes for protection. They look at it and say, we have never had a problem with guns, someone uh, misusing a gun, using it on a person, being violent. All those shootings you're talking about, they're happening in the big city. That's where the real problem is. What do you say to that, Reverend Madsen? I live in Lancaster, nickel mines. 
I mean, and, and then and then that's not just looking at the issue of shootings, but but of suicide. Suicide is an issue that happens whether you're in an urban area or a rural area. This is something that is impacting people, irregardless of the community that they they live in. You live in Nickel Mines? No, I live in Lancaster City. But, okay, but you broke but, up brought up Nickel Mines yeah, because of the Amish shooting right. there. Uh, uh, is it fifteen years ago now? It was, and at the time, I was serving a church um, where the parish had been at the time was neighbors um, to the family members that that had happened to, and it directly impacted her in a way that I've never forgotten. Mm. Well, you only have about two minutes left. I want to thank both of you for being with us today. Uh, Bishop Scanlon, let me ask you, what's next? Uh, have you spoken with legislators yet? Have you spoken with legislators who in the past have opposed these things? We are getting organized. We have a rally day. Um, we'll be joining the ceasefire PA rally day on March 23rd at the Capitol. We have also set a date in November for us to be at the Capitol to work with uh, legislators. And we have begun some, some kind of grassroots conversations with legislators. As you know, they're just now getting getting off the ground and getting yeah, started. It started late this year. And yeah. honestly, I think that our four priorities, we, we um, derive those because we needed to begin somewhere. But we're eager to see what's going to come before the legislature. Mm. How do you approach it? When, say... Uh, there's a legislator that in the past has opposed these kind of uh, laws. How do you approach that person? Again, I think it's um, with trying to find common ground, with um, a humility of being willing to, to come in and, and have some curiosity, help me to understand where you're coming from and allow me to share where I'm coming from and to see from that, can you build common ground? What can we do together? What if there's a legislator who says, and I only have about 30 seconds left, I can't do it. I had to ask a question. <laughs> Your answer would be long, 30 seconds. I've done this long enough to know. that, that that's I want to thank both of you for being with us today, the Right Reverend Audrey Scanlon, Bishop of the Diocese of Central Pennsylvania, and Reverend Jennifer Matson, Rector of St. Thomas Episcopal Church in Lancaster, and Chair of the Saving Lives Ending Gun Violence Committee. Thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.